your turn to be afraid. Are you a fan of things that go bump in the night? Chills up your spine, paralyzed by fright. Thrilled by horror at the center of a chat. Then welcome to the Nerds from the Crypt podcast. Thank you once again for joining us here on Nerds from the Crypt, the podcast where we review your favorite and sometimes not so favorite horror movies and talk to indie creators about their upcoming and ongoing Kickstarter campaigns. Today we have a, a a really good episode. I know I say that a lot, but it's because it's always true. <laughs> um, with me, as always, is my co-host Greg. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Yourself? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. It's good to be uh, be able to record again and on a almost oh. almost weekly basis. Yeah, it is nice. <laughs> and uh, today we're going to have a guest that we're going to be talking about his upcoming project, but. Um, I'll let him introduce himself real quick here. Uh, Mr. Rich Davis. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Morning. How are you uh, doing today? Oh, man, I'm doing better than I deserve. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good good morning to, to wake up and uh, talk to talk to you about your, your project here. Absolutely, man. Every day is a good day to talk about Cult of Dracula. I am super, <laughs> super stoked for the project. <laughs> and... Before we jump into the into the uh, Cult of Dracula, I'm going to go ahead and let Greg um, do some quick overviews of two Kickstarter campaigns that are currently going on right now. All right. So uh, today I want to just uh, talk to the listeners about a couple of Kickstarters that are ongoing right now. And uh, we have our first one up is from Kaylin Smith. It is, uh, for goodness sake, Volume 3, the completed series. Uh, Caitlin Smith, no relation, although we are both Smiths, uh, we twice removed on our mother's sides, uh, maybe cousins, not cousins. I'm not sure. Uh, we met at a convention, uh, several years back and, uh, picked up her first, uh, first book plume and read through that series and really, really liked that. And when this new series for goodness sake come came out, it was one of those things that I had to back and this new Kickstarter for it. When it hit the ground, it hit the ground running 24 hours uh, funded and it is still going. But the uh, the full story is this. You get a story about a guy named Thatcher who turns more demonic every time he is a turd. So every time this guy like acts out and, and turns into like a big giant jerk and, and does a bunch of terrible stuff to people, he 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 gets a little demonic <laughs> horns appear, uh, skin becomes redder, other things like that. Uh, goes from being a nice kind of just a, a think like a David from Schitt's Creek kind of guy, uh, and, and just more, more devilish. And, uh, then you got free spirited rain. Who's kind of, uh, a little arty art artsy, uh, woman on a, on a little world tour, driving around in a, in a bus and she's trying to cure him of this, this, this curse, if you will. And, uh, as they go through their adventures, uh, in books one and two, uh, they find out there's a lot more there. And, uh, I'm really, this, the whole series has been building up to some really cool stuff. Uh, I was hooked, uh, when the first book arrived, I couldn't wait for the second one. I got the second one and I couldn't wait for this one to come out and I just kept messaging and I was like, Kalen, when are you doing this next one? Cause I got it. Oh, you're one of those people that, that harasses the creators. No. Well, you know, <laughs> I was like, I, I gotta know because it's really, it was, it was like, 
I, I just tell me just like, is there any more art? Cause she's the, the artist and the writer mm-hmm. and uh, it's, it's just so good. And I love there's little callbacks to, to plume. It's not a, a, a no spoilers, but um, plume is also a really good book. Uh, so if you get a chance to go check that out, um, it's, it's a Western and a little, little mystical Western book that she did. Uh, so if you like those types of things, but this one, oh, devilish, devilishly fun and and good volume three, it's got a lot of really great uh, things that you can get for um, backing it. So um, I, I definitely, I went all in on this uh, and because it was just one of those things you had to get the nice, the nice shelf piece to go along with the, the plume book series. So, you know, I got to get that, that, that piece that goes in there and, and bookends everything together. It's almost but, up to its second to the last uh, stretch goal that's been announced. Yeah, so it that it's just crazy. It's, it's I applaud her on her her drive and her talent. Um, so so people go out and check this out for goodness sake. Uh, volume three on Kickstarter. Uh, you, when you see it, it's it's super cute art, super fun. Mm-hmm. Watch the video, check it out, see all the good stuff. Uh, the second one that I have, uh, and this one, uh, maybe it's a little uh, shameless plugging because I am part of this Kickstarter. I'll put that up front so people go, oh, this guy's part of this Kickstarter. Uh, this is Monster Mashup. It's with Grit City Comics. Eddie Hedrington put together a really great team of people uh, to do a monster mashup that basically is combining all of your favorite public domain characters and all of your favorite cryptids and monsters all in one book. Uh, We have a great amount of creators. I want to say it is, uh, you've got 21 stories with 41 creators. Uh, so it is, it is pretty big. Uh, it's 172 pages. It's a very nice book. Uh, the story that I got to do, uh, with a really good friend of mine, Amy Dan, uh, we did a Bigfoot story. Uh, I know Saul's probably like, no Bigfoot. Why? Traitor. Uh, I know, but you know, Pacific Northwest, although we tell it on the East coast, no, no <laughs> not spoiling too much, but, uh, you know, and bringing in one of my favorite uh, public domain characters, Alan Quatermain, uh, as a kid, I just I, I couldn't get enough of his stories, you know, and uh, and and just the movie itself was one of those things that really got me. So telling it, being able to tell another story with that character um, and, and Bigfoot. I mean, how could you how, if you get an opportunity to do something like that? Why would you not? And even so, David's part of it absolutely. Too. Yeah, David's part of it too. So David came in and edited and uh, it was really great because uh, with the three of us working together on this, we were able to really uh, pull together uh, a fun and fantastic story. Uh, David uh, really brought a lot of different stuff to it where I, I wrote I wrote from my heart and he was like, Greg, rein it in. <laughs> he it's it's crazy to see this dude um go from intern to to editor um and uh he's got david is a multi a multitasker you know he's got a lot of different skill sets and uh it's really great to see him grow uh in his different different skills so um uh if if you out there listening have heard david on the podcast and you want to see what else he can do check out this story that we did in Monster Mash of Volume 2 and uh, see how he pulled it all together with us because uh, Amy Dan's art is one, amazing and beautiful. You want to see art from an artist who learned from 
the uh, one of the lead artists on Mulan and see what they can do, uh, then you're going to get some great art in there. <laughs> she she does amazing stuff. And all the different artists and creators that told stories in here, uh, getting to watch everything as Eddie's been putting it together because uh, as Eddie puts stuff together, I get to kind of see how things are going together. We've worked together on multiple projects in the past. And uh, it's been fantastic because all these creators have put together some super cool stories and i think it's well worth uh pledging for this because again it is a good book and you get the opportunity to get volume one with it so there's a there's a there's a spot for this um for you to get both so you don't miss out on number one and you get all those great stories too and uh eddie has been on the podcast before yeah um doing one of what was it the horror news i believe uh yeah he did uh the horror horror anthology yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, and uh, he did a. I guess he had at that time he had mentioned that he was going to do this mashup. I guess the volume one at the time, mm-hmm. and he he was supposed to come on the podcast, uh, but that's when uh, we had one of the little uh, unfortunate uh, instances where we had to take a little bit of a break here. So uh, by the time I saw his email, it was already like months past. Like oh man, yeah, my bad, my bad. Between our timing and his timing, he's a busy guy too. Yeah. He's always he's got so many irons in the fire uh, for somebody that um, he. I mean, he's he's one of those dudes that just like day job family, and I want to make like I want to run this little comic company and put out really cool books with people. Um, he jumps in. I know during at the beginning of the pandemic, we did a Kickstarter for the. Uh, um, to, to get masks and, and stuff oh, yeah, like yeah. that for people. And, uh, he's just, he, his heart's there. He really wants to, um, get good stuff out for people. So, uh, again, this is a great opportunity to, to jump in and, and be part of that. Awesome. So guys, well, we'll leave the links in the, the description of the episode so you guys can check them out. And even if you can't check them, um, actually, you know, help them out monetarily you can share the the links that's the best way to help uh is so you know to get the the word out there to to other people and so that you know even if you can help um you know back the project at least you might get someone else to do it yeah yeah all right i know on monster mashup we got 24 days to go we are four thousand dollars five thousand dollars from the goal (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so Hopefully this will help. Um, I guess put the word out there. I know they didn't do too too much of the of the press, right? Yeah, it's been uh, it, it it's been hectic, but we're we're trying. <laughs> They're trying. <laughs> Get the word out there, guys. All right. So let's uh, jump over and change gears with uh, with Rich here. Hey guys. One thing that I like to talk to our our um, you know guests about, or rather, one question um, is. How long have you been into the the horror genre and what got you into it? You know, I have been into horror my entire life. Um, I remember very clearly being like four years old and hiding behind my mom's couch, peeking around the corner to watch Scooby-Doo. And my mom would get so angry at me and she would be like, I'm not going to let you watch Scooby-Doo tomorrow. And I would cry and beg and like, please, 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 mom, let me watch Scooby-Doo. I promise I won't be scared. And then of course I would watch it and the ghosts would scare me. And I would hide (laughs) behind the couch and peek around and watch it. And I remember very clearly all my life, 
horror has given me that same rush, that same adrenaline, that same excitement. I'm the world's easiest person in the world to scare because I want to be scared so badly. And (laughs) I love it when I'm scared. Um, You know, like I go into a haunted house and like I am fully prepared. Like I want you to scare me. You know, some people try to go in and they try to be all big and bad and tough. Like, oh, you're not going to get me. And I'm like, no, dude, (laughs) scare me. I want it because (laughs) there's just nothing. There's nothing else that gives me that same adrenaline rush as being afraid and um, horror. It it just feeds into that. So I have, as far back as I can remember, I have been into, uh, into horror. I'm a big horror book fan, horror films, horror experiences. Um, So yeah, I'm very, very grateful and fortunate that I get to write uh, horror comics now for source point press. Awesome. Nice. Nice. I, I feel like uh, Scooby-Doo is a gateway show. It is. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's what's got me into horror, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and how long have you been in the, in the comic book business? Um, I have been in the comic book business for uh, more than a decade um, as a retailer. Um, I own a store in Knoxville, Tennessee called Nirvana Comics. Uh, I've been writing comics now for, um, uh, well, professionally been writing for about a year now. Um, I've been working on Cult of Dracula for longer than that. Um, I started working on the comic script about three years ago, um, but um, really just got SourcePoint to notice me and give me the opportunity to uh, actually publish this thing about a year ago. Nice. And. Um, I think you're the third, fourth person we've actually um, got on here that have uh, has released their comic book through through SourcePoint uh, a couple of times. Nice. We've, we've They're had, an amazing company, man. Yeah. They really are. Uh, let's talk about, I guess, the development of uh, Cult of Dracula. Yeah. Where did, where did this uh, idea come from? So um, it, it's actually been a long time coming to uh, put this project together. Um, I started writing it um, as a stage production back in 2012, uh, believe it or not. Hmm. Um, I was uh, coming back from Dragon Con, and I had had lunch with a good friend of mine named Rob Mann. At the time, I owned a theater um, in Wilmington, North Carolina called the Browncoat Pub and Theater. And my friend Rob was complaining that um, he was directing a production of Dracula for another theater company. And he was just like, there's just no such thing as a good Dracula stage script. He had a great cast. He had a beautiful set. Everything was wonderful about his show, but he hated the script. And he said the things that were scary in Victorian England just aren't scary to (laughs) modern audiences. We've been, you know, we've been desensitized to them. He said in every play script I've read just absolutely sucks. And so I said, well, you know what? I'm going to write a good Dracula script. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that was me being young and arrogant and thinking, oh, I can do what everybody else hasn't. And um, so I I wrote the script. It was originally called Dracula Reimagined. And it was produced at the Browncoat Pub and Theater in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, Ran for the month of October that year. Uh, We sold out uh, every performance. It was a very successful show. And we were nominated for uh, multiple awards, won a couple. And 
um, had the good fortune that my friend uh, Tony Todd, who is um, obviously the Candyman, yeah, um, was in the audience. Yeah, he was in the audience Did for one of the productions and saw the play. He, yeah, he's become a very good friend of mine. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, Tony's Tony's great. Um, if you go to our social media page for uh, for Cult of Dracula, or on I think it's on our YouTube as well. Uh, Tony cut a little video for us um, promoting the uh, promoting the book. So when the Candyman tells you to uh, buy Cult of Dracula, you know you better listen. Yeah, you have um, to. There's no, you can't not. Right. <laughs> No, you, you have to do what Tony says or he's going to show up, you know, behind a mirror and, and bad things happen. Definitely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Tony saw the play and really enjoyed it. And um, afterwards he was like, Rich, you um, you can't let this go. He said, you know, you, you need to do something with it. You've got something here. And so um, I began working on adapting it for a screenplay uh, with the idea that Tony would play a character I created for the story called Agent Malcolm Brom. Um, and um, so we got through the process. Um, unfortunately, while this was happening, my wife became very ill with kidney disease. And so we kind of had to put the film project uh, on the back burner for a while. But uh, Tony was uh, very supportive and encouraging. My wife was very, very encouraging. And neither one of them really wanted me to let it go. Um, and they said, well, you know, we can't do a film right now, but, um, you know, maybe you could try writing a comic book script because, you know, you don't need, you know, $50 million to produce a comic. I mean, comics are expensive, but they're not $50 million expensive like a, a film would be. Mm -hmm. And um, so I started writing it as a comic script, um, got involved. Uh, my friend uh, George's Genty, um, artist for Buffy the Vampire Slayer and uh, Firefly and tons of other comics, uh, got him involved in helping me learn how to do it. And he introduced me to Henry Martinez, who was, um, a, an artist on uh, ghost writer for Marvel in the nineties. And, um, so Henry, um, was able to, uh, draw the script that I was, um, writing. And, um, you know, from there we just, uh, I busted my butt and, um, you know, got it out there. Uh, and eventually, we got it into the hands of SourcePoint Press, and now um, it's uh, it's broken all sorts of sales records at SourcePoint. Um, we're going to be in comic book stores literally all over the world. We've had orders from Japan, Germany, the UK, Canada, everywhere, um, and you know thousands in the US. So um, yeah, man, we're very excited about uh, Cult of Dracula hitting comic book store shelves on uh, March 31st and uh, getting in the hands of people who are going to love it. Oh yeah, we're we're right in the in the edge of of um, getting released, and that's what we want to do. Yeah, we're on. really close, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I think it's like 11 days now. That, yeah. yeah, that's amazing. People uh, get to the store and pick that bad boy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, we're we're looking. Um, I think if the numbers um hold, I think we're going to be uh, um, we're probably going to be a top 50 comic um, for March uh, based on pre-orders. Um, nice. So um, we're really excited about that. I mean, it was, you know, we were completely floored by the reception that Cult of Dracula has received. Um, our, our retail partners have really come together and, um, and supported us. You know, it's, it's, we didn't do a Kickstarter, but it's almost that same community that you get mm -hmm. on Kickstarter, you know, very early on, um, 
I began engaging with uh, with retailers through social media and reaching out to them and telling them about the about the book. I mean, even before I actually had a publisher, I was talking to retailers and building relationships with them and getting them excited about Cult of Dracula, and um, you know that really helped to propel. Um, the sales success because the retailers kind of um, they kind of started to see Cult of Dracula as their project and you know they were part of this and so mm. they've been amazing um, to support it and uh, I just can't say thank you enough to all of our retail partners out there the local comic book uh, shop market is the absolute heart and soul the backbone of the comic book industry and you know. Uh, we can't do what we do without the support of the local shops. So, um, you know, thank you to everybody who ordered the book. And now I'm, I really just can't wait for the fans to get it and read it and tell me what they think. Oh, the, the, hearing that is like 100%. I think what our listeners that are wanting to create things or are creating things need to hear that there's a lot of work that goes into this, that, uh, that you, the creator has to do. Uh, to work that wheel, if you will, uh, to make sure that Absolutely. things that yeah, to make sure that things happen. You're there's a whole entire community out there that that you need to reach out to, and sitting back and and hoping and wishing that it happens is different than making it happen and physically being part of it. And and you took the active role, and you went out and and you had this desire to make it happen. Uh, you found all the right people and you did it. And that's the drive and. People that want to do this kind of thing, they need to hear that. Take the take the drive Absolutely. and do it. Ah, yeah. I mean, I am. If if you're out there and you're wanting to create a comic book, and you know you've got this idea, I am living proof that you can do this. Um, I am absolutely nobody. You know, I'm a kid from a small town in uh, in Middle Tennessee. Um, no special privileges. I didn't really know a lot of people. Um, and I just worked really, really hard on doing this. And so if you're wanting to get your project out there, the comic book industry is still a very accessible industry and you can get into it, um, with just a little bit of determination and, and a lot of hard work. Um, but you've got to be willing to put that work in. Uh, you can't just, you know, uh, just throw the idea out there and hope that somebody's going to order it, um, you know, in previews or, you know, you can't just throw a Kickstarter out there and not promote it and expect people to just magically find you. It doesn't work that way. You know, I, um, doing Cult of Dracula, I, you know, probably embarrassed myself going up to uh, publishers at conventions, calling them on the phone, calling creators, you know, contacting them on social media, you know, just complete mediocre white dude doing, you know, where just reaching out for things that I had no right to reach out for, but I did it anyway. Um, you know, and I, I was very lucky, um, you know, early in the process of uh, developing Cult of Dracula, you know, I got to speak with um, uh, people like Joe Pruitt from Aftershock Comics and, um, you know, um, several other uh, publishers. Um, I actually got to converse with them and we had them, you know, we had a lot of interest in in developing Cult of Dracula uh, pre-COVID. And, um, you know, we were looking for a publisher trying to narrow it down and then COVID hit and all of a sudden everybody's stopping publishing comics. So um, we actually thought we were going to have to go the Kickstarter route ourselves. And I was thinking, yeah, well, we'll do Kickstarter. Maybe we, maybe we sell, you know, 
five copies. I know my mom's going to order three. So, um, you know, we should be good there. (laughs) And, um, you know, so we, but then, um, we did get involved with another, uh, very small publisher called second sight studios. Um, and they were able to produce, um, issue one. Um, but the sales success of issue one was, uh, more than they could handle. Um, and so they graciously, um, um, agreed to uh, help me transition the book over to SourcePoint Press, and now that we're with SourcePoint, um, you know our sales have you know um, exponentially grown there. So um, you know it's it's a process, and you've got to put a lot of hard work into it. But again, if you're listening and you want to create a comic book, you you can if you're willing to put the work in. Reminds me of uh, the guest we had a, late last year for um, Dan Schmidt, who's who just actually didn't have any knowledge of, of the comic book world, but he trained himself in oh, every wow. single aspect of it. He wrote it, drew it, lettered it, everything on his own. Um, wow. <laughs> if, you, if you guys want to, you guys can, can get it done. Yeah. Yeah. That's determination to be able to do yeah. everything. Holy cow. I wish I could draw, but I oh. am, I am terrible at it. Same. I, uh, you can go um, if you want to see how how awful my uh, my artistic abilities are. You can go to our uh, our Facebook and our Instagram uh, page. It's Cult of Dracula comic, and um, I had to draw a. Um, we were working with Lucio Perillo on developing a cover, and I was trying to explain what I wanted to Lucio, and uh, I guess it was getting lost in translation. You know, he's uh, in Italy, and um, so he's like, "Could you just draw it out?" And I'm like, "Oh, oh no," <laughs> uh, you know, because here I am. I'm like. I, I, so I, I, I sketched it out and it's, like I said, it's on our, our social media. So go check it out. Cult of Dracula comic. And, um, so it's this terrible, terrible stick figure. I mean, the stick <laughs> figures don't even look good. Um, and I'm having to, I scan this thing and I'm sending it to literally one of the finest artists in the comic book industry right now. I'm sending him this terrible stick figure drawing of what I want the cover to look like. And I'm just, I'm so embarrassed and so just surreal that this is happening that i'm sending this awful stick figure drawing for cult of dracula to uh lucio perillo and um so lucio actually liked it he laughed he said oh it's it, it, it's good you know and I'm, I'm picturing in my head yeah he's virtually reaching out and patting me on the head going you're you're doing good <laughs> what is it People but yeah say, it's, bless it's your heart awful. bless your heart yeah in the <laughs> south we say that a lot <laughs> Oh wow! Yeah, I'm looking at the stick figures right now. <laughs> wow, yeah, okay, these are great. I no, I've been there myself, dude. Uh, Rich, I have I uh, writing, being a writer myself, and uh, sending mm-hmm. stuff off to to my artist uh, and my my really crappy stick figure drawings. I I share this pain. This is yeah. You send it <laughs> off to somebody that's that's got the skill and the talent, and you're like, mm-hmm. why did I? Why, this is horror. I mean, like, you know, you're, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, Oh my gosh, how are they going to even get this out of this? And the cover that you got, this is, this, this looks like I want this as a poster. I want to put this, right? in, I want to put this in my shop. Like, this is great. <laughs> like, you know, are you putting, are you, are you all making posters for this? Because you should, you know, that's something not, we talked about. Yeah, we we've definitely talked about it. I'm trying to get SourcePoint on board um, for making some posters to send out to comic book shops. Um, 
I have made some posters of my own, the little 11 by 17 ones. So um, if there are any comic book shop uh, owners out there who um, are listening, if you guys want a um, an 11 by 17 poster for Cult of Dracula, either um, the Gula Nimeth cover or the Shannon Mayer cover, A or B, um, just hit, hit me up on social media, um, either Facebook or Instagram. It's at uh, Cult of Dracula Comic. And um, you know I'll gladly uh, send you one. Um, to hang up in your store uh, to help you guys promote it, um, you know. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping that uh, SourcePoint is going to get on board with maybe doing some more merchandise. We've talked about doing like uh, maybe some T-shirts, um, things like that. Definitely posters, maybe some pins or patches, mm-hmm. uh, laptop stickers, stuff like that. Because you know we we do have some gorgeous, gorgeous artwork, um, and you know we've been very fortunate to work with some of the absolute best artists in the industry on. Um, on our uh, comic book covers for Cult of Dracula. Um, so, but yeah, if there's any re- uh, retailers out there, uh, or if you're a fan and you buy a copy of the book and you want a poster, reach out to me on uh, on uh, social media and I'll uh, I'll see if we can figure out a way to send you one. Because uh, like if for the listeners that, that you know, you obviously can't see what we're looking at. This, it has this, this look of like a 70s style horror movie poster. Mm-hmm cover and Mm -hmm. or like a grindhouse poster and it just looks so cool we uh, in my house we have uh several grindhouse posters up in the house and this just looks like it would fit in the living room (laughs) just perfect so it's like i'm glad you picked that up man that's that's exactly the vibe that um that we wanted. I'm a, I'm a big fan of sixties seventies horror that grindhouse era love those movies and um so in developing those covers, each issue one through six is going to have a cover just like that. Those are going to be the A covers. And uh, the idea would be for you know collectors, if you wanted to put them together and display them, they're going to look gorgeous as a set. And it's going to look like those uh, those grindhouse movie posters that you would have seen in, uh, you know, in um, inexpensive theaters, the grindhouse theaters back in the back in the 60s and 70s. So, um, yeah, I can't wait to be able to show you guys all of the covers uh, because they are just their home runs. And um, and then Shannon Mayer is doing the B covers. Um, and so he Shannon has his own unique, just gorgeous, gorgeously um, detailed um digital portrait um shots of each of the uh, the main characters in the book and um god shannon is a is a brilliant artist so um yeah i hope you guys will check out covers a and b at your local comic book store um because they're they're both fantastic so before we jump into the actual story where can people make sure to see oh let me reword that where can people find um the book but also if they can't find it in their local shop, where can they get it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, the number one place we want you to go is to your local comic book shop, because again, we can't do what we do without the support of uh, local comic book shops all over the world. Uh, Cultural Dracula in uh, number one uh, hits store shelves on March 31st uh, from source point press. It's going to be all over the U S um, but if you don't have a local comic book shop, or if the, the one near you um, is one of the few shops that missed out on this and didn't order it, um, I would recommend uh, you can always go to my uh, comic book shop, NirvanaComics.com, um, and, uh, or just visit us on, um, on Facebook at Nirvana Comics Knoxville. And um, I will be happy to um, send you a copy of Cult of Dracula. And if you order it directly from us, if you send me a message, I will um, be happy to autograph them for free. 
um, and uh, we'll send you out a, a signed copy. Um, so just uh, Nirvana Comics Knoxville, if you guys want to check that out. But, that out. but, um, but please, first, go to your local comic book shop. And um, if you buy it at your local comic book shop and you want an autograph, just message me um, and send it to me uh, with a self-addressed envelope uh, with a return label, whatever, and uh, we'll gladly uh, do that for you. If a, you know someone goes by to a local comic book shop and they don't have it, is there a way for them to request it or is there a way for the comic book shop yeah, to Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, you can request it, um, ask them to order it through Diamond. Um, issue number one um, has sold out at the distributor level, but um, we're hoping – uh, that uh, there's going to be, uh, you know, because you always overprint the run uh, just mm-hmm. in case for damages and things like that. So um, SourcePoint has a very low uh, damage percentage. So um, we're hoping that once uh, all of the um, initial orders for uh, Cult of Dracula number one are fulfilled, um, we'll be able to release those overprints to uh, back to Diamond, so people can order it through Diamond. We may do a second printing. We're we're not entirely sure on that. Um, that's those are discussions that we're having. But um, but yeah, you can order it from uh, uh, direct from Diamond Comics through their previews um, and issues uh, one, two, and three are available uh, for order in previews right now. So um, you know, reach out to your local shop if they are not carrying it already. Um, have them, um, you know, have them order it. And, uh, if, if they can't get it or just for whatever reason, refuse to get it, uh, you can reach out to me either at cult of Dracula comic or Nirvana comics, Knoxville, uh, on Facebook and Instagram. And I'll be more than happy to help you do it. <laughs> Let's talk about the story. Yeah, sure. So wait, this thing has a plot. well it's like whoa whoa whoa, guys come on i I wrote this really cool idea you didn't tell me i had to develop a plot (laughs) right (laughs) i just wanted cool pictures to go with the idea (laughs) yeah you know it's just like it's like blah 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 vampire vampire blah 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 vampire vampire holy crap did she eat a baby blah 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 oh yeah she actually ate a baby wow and and that's the end (laughs) ate a baby i just gave you you, uh, oh yeah (laughs) That was the whole story. It get, that was that was that was in, that is that is that at the end? <laughs> okay, there's a little bit more to it. No, the the baby gets eaten actually in issue two. Um, so. <laughs> Spoilers, and it's it's really brutal. <laughs> uh, sometimes when I'm when I was writing this, I, I would let my wife read my scripts, and she would just I, I I could see it when she got to one of the parts because she would just she would just like drop her tablet and just give me that side eye look like <laughs> did I marry a serial killer or is there something wrong with you? Do you and have then she just go back unit? to reading it, <laughs> right? Oh my gosh, like, Rich has a storage that- unit, people. <laughs> like, do you do you need to tell me something about all the holes you've been digging in the backyard <laughs> you keep saying that you lo- you've been losing days and you don't know where you've been for hours <laughs> and i can see it going through her mind like well if he's a serial killer maybe he's a dexter serial killer and he just kills other serial killers that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna justify it and keep reading here and just you know ignore it <laughs> but the point being if you um Cult of Dracula is written by a horror fan for horror fans. You know, I I wanted to write something that I would be proud of as a horror fan, and I wanted to write something that other horror fans 
are going to identify with. Um, so Cult of Dracula does not hold back on the horror. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we go there. Um, you know, we we go so far that there is there is literally a scene where a pack of rabid vampires um, completely demolish a newborn baby in a feeding <laughs> frenzy. So um, that's that's where we go. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know if you can go further than that in horror and not get banned somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a baby. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, right, yeah. babies all the time, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this just happens. This is normal. Like you're just reading a Disney book and all yeah. of a sudden, no, the baby got eaten. Oh. Well, I mean, well. it's true, but I mean, usually they're they're uh they're animals in Disney, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's true, still true. the same yeah. thing. Still the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I blame. I do blame Disney for all this, you know, because they killed Mufasa when I was a kid, and if Mufasa can die, then um, you know all bets are off. Yep. <laughs> Done deal. <laughs> and you and you already talked to us about how it, the idea came through. So, yeah. what what is your what was your process in I guess modernizing some of these characters? Yeah, um, and, I, and I promise now I, in this question, I will also answer your other question about, hey, what's the book about? Um, <laughs> I completely skipped over that. Um, sorry, I got on a tangent there. Um, so <laughs> with with Cult of Dracula, um, what the process um, of modernizing these characters, um, I wanted to be true to Bram Stoker's original um, book, but I knew – that if I wanted this to be anything but just another vampire book or just another Dracula book, um, we had to do something different with it. We had to change it and tell the story from perspective that um, hasn't been told and satirized a hundred times before. So the very first thing we did um, when seriously developing this for uh, for publication um, was we took and looked at, okay, what is the character of Dracula? Who is Dracula? What are the core elements? And how can we, how can we show this to readers in a different way from a unique perspective? So I started doing a lot of research, um, and about different vampire mythologies from all over the world and, you know, uh, things about children's nursery rhymes, which children's nursery rhymes are scary as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and started researching the history of those and just all started delving down in this kind of rabbit hole of, you know, just ancient um, myths about, um, you know, that, that, that we humans have told each other since we started gathering around campfires. And I noticed that there was this character that kept showing up in just about every culture that I was researching, you know, Babylonians, Greeks, Romans, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the Huns, um, native Americans, um, uh, Aztecs, all of these people had these, had the same character show up in their stories, but they all showed up in a, in a different way. And this character is a woman. Um, she's a dark woman. She's an outcast woman. She's a wise woman. She's a witch or a scary woman that that stalks the darkness and children from their beds and uh, and sustains herself off of their life force. 
and um, you know, started uh, started seeing that character over and over and over again. And then finally, I was doing some research um, from uh, from the Talmud and uh, the Midrashic texts um, from Judaism. And I came across um, the Lilith story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody, when you think of Lilith, you know, she was um, supposedly Adam's first wife from the Bible, and she refused uh, to be subservient to him. So she left um, left the Garden of Eden, and then Eve was created after that. Well, in the Talmud, the story goes further. It's, they elaborate on it more. And Lilith went, and she was living in a cave and God sent three angels to visit her and say, basically to say, Lilith, I'm sorry, come back to the garden. Um, it's your choice, but if you come back, everything's going to be fine. Well, so the angels go and they talk to Lilith and they make her the offer. And she's like, you know what? I'm happy here. So um, no, thanks, but no thanks. Well, and the angels get very angry because they think uh, uh, Lilith is um, kind of uh, arrogant because of this. And so they curse her to be the mother of demons and to survive, she has to feed from 100 of her children every day. And so once I read that story, something clicked in my mind and I was like, (laughs) what if let's take the character of Dracula and instead of being a stuffy European guy in a tuxedo that uh, Leslie Nielsen could play brilliantly, (laughs) let's, (laughs) yes, let's make her, let's make, the character, a woman. And let's connect all of these stories, all of these myths together. And so suddenly Dracula becomes not a woman, but many women, all women, dark women, these women who have been outcast from society, these these women who stalk the darkness and steal children in the night. And so where Cult of Dracula begins, our Dracula is is a woman and she is an incarnation of the Lilith demon. So you trace her story back and, and all the way to Lilith. And no matter what, no matter what Dracula story is your favorite or what vampire legend is your favorite, they're all true and they're all Dracula. Mm -hmm. So our version of Dracula is just, so the way these cultures see her, um, you know, like the Wendigo, for example, is just how the native Americans interpreted Lilith, the original vampire, the mother of demons. Mm. Vlad the Impaler was just another way that the that the Romanians interpreted um, Lilith, the mother of demons. Um, Lamashtu, Lamia, um, Lady Bathory, La Llorona, all of these mythological characters that stalk the darkness and feed from children, they were all Dracula just told from different perspectives and given different names throughout human history. So that that's the kernel where the story in Cult of Dracula begins. And once we made that switch, it opened up such an amazing world of storytelling and so many unique storytelling possibilities, um, you know, and, and we were just able to run from there. And it's so far proven to be a pretty compelling uh, story that people are really enjoying. Now, if I wasn't, Hyped up for the story uh, before. Um, I'm now. <laughs> I am now. Yeah. He's like, oh yes, I gotta get this now. Oh my. <laughs> Sorry, my alarm just went off. No. Oh, it yeah. happens like all the time. Yeah, I know it's. Um, <laughs> now, I'm gonna, now I'm gonna check my phone. <laughs> <laughs> right. Everybody listening, probably like, oh my gosh, is that mine? <laughs> oh, is it me? What's going on? Did I turn off the microwave? Um, <laughs> 
So, um, but yeah, so Cult of Dracula um, starts. Um, it's kind of like a Toby Hooper film. Um, the 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 story's always been laid out to be told into three six issue volumes. The first one being Cult of Dracula. The second one is going to be Rise of Dracula, and the third Reign of Dracula. So, kind of an homage to my favorite Hammer films, the way that they would title their 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 movies. Yeah, um, I was so going to say that the the, uh, one, the one of the covers that I saw kind of reminded me to of the Hammer Dracula. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Um, a lot of hammer influences, um, on me. Um, I loved those films. Horror of Dracula is probably my all time favorite. Um, Brides of Dracula was brilliant as well. Um, um, those, those hammer films, I mean, uh, you know, where I was from, um, we only had like, uh, like six channels that you could get on an antenna. (laughs) Um, you know, because this is for whatever reason, they hadn't brought cable to my, uh, to my little area for at this time and but those uh those hammer movies would come on late night on this channel out of uh out of chattanooga um tennessee and i would watch them like late on a friday or saturday night when i was a kid way too young to be watching horror movies by the way um but um scooby doo gotcha. yeah i yeah exactly <laughs> but i i just i love the hammer films so um i hope people when they read it they're going to catch uh, there's a lot of Easter eggs and a lot of references to different horror films in general hidden um, within Cult of Dracula. They're not obvious, but, you know, like, for example, there's a there's a great scene where um, uh, you see the car uh, from Near Dark. Uh, you know, I had uh, I had. Um, my artist draw that car. We needed a, v- a vehicle. And so I was like, Hey, draw the car from near dark. I want to hide it in there. It's like an Easter egg nice. and, you know, things like, uh, you know, like room numbers on, you know, uh, when we go to the, the Whitby sanatorium, you know, their references to specific horror movies. Um, you know, so you're, if you're a horror fan, you're going to find all these references and you're going to find a lot of nods to hammer films in there. So we know who to turn to when we want to review one of the hammer films. Oh, sure. yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> I am all about it. Yes. Hammer films are that. so underappreciated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I actually got into them because of uh, what's it called? Cinemassacre. Mm-hmm. The angry video game nerd. Uh, his yep. like his regular video series, I guess, with when he's when he's not in the angry video game nerd uh, character. And mm-hmm. because of him, I was able to find the the Hammer films. They're brilliant. Yeah, they're they're awesome. They they don't uh, for for the year that they were made, they don't hold back in the on what they were able to do with the um with the gra- with their I would say graphics, but it's more like uh, what is it called um special special effects. effects. Yeah, special, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. They went there the best they could for the time period. I mean, they 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 were fearless in what they did, and um, you know, they they had a very powerful influence on a lot of the horror filmmakers and um, that are working today. So without the hammer films, our horror viewing experience would probably be very, very, very different today. A hundred percent. Yeah. No, I remember watching a lot of those. Uh, I, when I was in college, my uh, one of my really close friends uh, who I, who I go to horror conventions with now, he, he was like, you come over now we're watching all of these like we basically did a a, nice. a a night of just watching movies and it was just like we're watching these movies and it was just a just a great night of uh of just hanging out and, and watching them and, and just having that dialogue uh, yeah you know it was pre-podcast pre pre all that other stuff you know and just having that moment 
uh, back in the the early nineties and just having that, that, that discourse and yeah. <laughs> Pre podcast. You mean people, when people used to hang around the, the campfire and tell stories? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. We had a campfire and a TV set up and it was great <laughs> watching on a, on a VCR. <laughs> yes. You remember a VCR? You know, <laughs> right. Man, and I don't know what it is, but some horror movies still just look better if you can watch them on a VHS tape because, yeah, you know, I think sometimes they get too perfect and mm-hmm. too clear on, uh, you know, because you know, 4K, UHD, everything. And but you you pop one in on the, you know, on the old VHS and like especially if it's like a well-worn one and you'll get the little, you know, sometimes the little lines will show up because the tape's wearing out. Mm-hmm. And that, that just adds something cool to horror movies. I, I, I don't know. I dig it. Oh. Yeah, no. My they, issue with uh, the CGI that the, that is used a lot now is that when it is like uh-huh. in 4K, you can tell that it's CGI. Oh yeah. Whereas if oh, in yeah. VHS, I think it hit a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I mean, not yes, that there was a lot of CGI in VHS. Look right? better. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Terminator is a great example yeah. of that. If you watch it in the the 4K edition um, at the end, when the um, um, you know when the um, the Terminators, you know, stripped down into his, uh, his, uh, cybernetic body. And he's like, you know, r- the flames are going behind him and he's raising up and doing his claymation type roar or whatever. And you can just see it in 4k. You can see those old 19, uh, 1980s graphics cards just screaming for mercy. Like we can't do any more than this. <laughs> this is all we got, but it looked so good on VHS, you know, oh, when you yeah. first saw it, because it, you know, it, it hid all the, you know, the, the low resolution hid those, you know, mm-hmm. flaws that we see so well in, uh, in 4k. The only one that it, I don't think it helps is, uh, the rock, um, in the mummy too. <laughs> Scorpion King. <laughs> Scorpion. That was bad. That was bad <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> that was, that was pretty awful. I mean, cause it looked like, I mean, it looked like really bad Xbox graphics. Like the, yeah. think of the worst Xbox game you could think of. And, um, you know, that's what it looked like. Uh, you know, Oh Yeah. They tried. Ooh. So we we, <laughs> we went off the, the rails for a little bit there, but that's fine. That's fine. We, yeah. That's part of the podcast. We do that a lot. <laughs> right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I, I get off on tangents talking about horror, man, because I, yeah. I just love horror. <laughs> Trust me. We know. <laughs> it's it's totally cool. We do it. Yeah. We do it all the time. Usually it's me. It's it's me. And that's why I was like, oh, Saul, are you serious? You want me to start off talking about these Kickstarters? Because I am going to go off the rails. But I made myself a little script, not a script, but like, you know, a little, little like I will stay with within this bound and not talk about decorative plates or trains or anything else. Oh my God, I'm doing it now. So I found this great plate the other day. <laughs> and oh, uh, if, you, if you were to release for cult of Dracula, that would be cool. That's what you I'm saying. Yeah. If you oh. offer a decorative plate for cult of Dracula, Greg will, will buy it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to add that to the potential merchandise list. <laughs> And so, um, it'll be, well, it'll be one for you and for all the little old ladies around the country who want to read cult of Dracula. Cause they're probably going to create, they're going to collect the, the decorative plates. They maybe, will. Uh, they will. maybe, uh, McDonald's <laughs> will, will get into it. You know how they oh, did they, it back in the day? Oh, yeah. I would, I would flip out. Yeah. Do <laughs> you imagine buying happy meals, happy meals with uh, cult of Dracula promotional materials in them? Hilarious. All the kids I would like flip out. They're like, what is this sauce? <laughs> baby why, why are these nuggets shaped like babies <laughs> you gotta read the book and you're not old enough kid just shut up and read shut up and eat it just shut up and eat your babies, <laughs> your babies. yeah I, I exactly to, i do have to say that to to get us back on track like the opening this this book uh the, uh-huh. the way that you laid out the the beginning 
the carnage. The well, no, the, the slow burn. I love, I love that. So for for readers and stuff like that, if if you like uh, the you know those those classic horror movies, uh, the the beginning of this is a great a great homage to that because you have a nice slow burn. It is a great beginning to the story where you get ten pages, I think, of like just building. Like you're like, ooh, yep. ooh what's happening? What's <laughs> and it's it's. Uh, I love the, the first 10 pages are almost entirely silent and um, that that was on purpose and um, you know that was being able to work with Henry Martinez the original artist on um, on issues one and two and being able to trust him enough to create what I wanted the readers to see um, without any dialogue without any exposition without any narration it's just completely silent. And what I wanted was the effect of as you're reading this, it's exactly what you're it's a it's a slow burn cinematic opening. Like I want you mm-hmm. to think you're watching, a, you know, a, a 1970s horror film and, you know, the car pulls up and this you know, mysterious guy gets out and I want you to hear the car door close. I want you to hear, you know, the wind as he's looking up at the, um, you know, at this you know church way out in the middle of nowhere. And then as he goes in, you're, you know, it, there's nothing to be said here. Um, you know, it's just the, the carnage, what has happened um, that this person that he's, you find out quickly, he's a, he's a, a government agent. He's a, he's here to investigate something horrific and you're discovering it the same way that he did. And, you know, you, you, you infer what's happening by looking at the faces of the coroners and the police who are having to just clean up this, this just totally unimaginable horror. And then he just gets in his car and leaves without <laughs> saying a word. And, um, and then boom, the story starts to unfold from there and we flash back three days and we find out how we got to this point. And, um, you know, so I, I hope that it, you know, the, that tension and that slow burn, I hope that it, it, it continues throughout the whole book. And I hope people are satisfied as they uh, kind of un- uncover the mystery, um, of how we got to the cult of Dracula mass suicide event. Wanted to ask you about the iconography of the of the cult. Where did you? Mm-hmm. How did you come up with that symbol? Okay, I'm I'm so happy that you asked about that because this, um, the um, the logo, the the Ordo Dracul symbol, um, is the result of a lot of research and um, a lot of advice from various people in the pagan. Um, community. I reached out to um, quite a lot of people to develop this logo because one of the things that I wanted to do was I wanted to, I knew I was going to delve into the occult and I was going to tie in a lot of pagan mythology and pagan cultures. So I wanted to make sure that what I was doing was respectful to um, people who follow uh, Wicca and uh, neo-paganism and these other uh, pagan cultures. I didn't want this to feel exploitative or, um, or misrepresentative of their culture. I mean, it is a, it's a horror movie. So we all understand it's going to be horrific and bad things are going to happen, but I didn't want to misrepresent these cultures. I wanted to make sure that the symbology and the iconography that I was using was true to, um, their beliefs in a respectful way. So did a lot of research on this and the Ordo Dracul symbol is actually, um, it's the combination of three separate um, 
um, very important symbols uh, from 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 these pagan cultures. So it starts. Um, if you'll look in the middle, um, it's a it's an inverted infinity symbol, which this goes all the way back to the Egyptians, and um, you know it's basically um, it's a figure eight laid on its side. Um, so we turn it up into its figure eight position, and so that is that's the infinity symbol right there that's been used in cultures going way way back to Mesopotamia. And then on top of that, you see the second symbol um, is the twin snake. Um, twin snakes eating their own tail. Um, that's a, that's a Babylonian reference, um, and which also symbolizes infinity. So you got two infinity symbols, um, in the very center and then behind that, um, or on the sides of that, you have a, um, you have two crescent moons, one waxing, one waning. And in the middle, the, the, the infinity symbol becomes, um, the full moon and that's called the triple moon goddess. So that's a pagan symbol. It's very prominent in Wicca. It also means it also symbolizes eternity. It's the waxing, the full, and the waning moon, um, and that just symbols the cycles of the moon and the cycles of eternity. So the Ordo Dracul symbol is actually three separate symbols um, of infinity and eternity, kind of blended together to create this one symbol that we call the Ordo Dracul. Um, so a lot of research went into that, and um, I consulted with a lot of um, of uh, practitioners of uh, different pagan religions. So I hope when they see this, I hope um, you know people. Who, if you are a Wiccan or if you are um, you know a practicing pagan, um, I hope that you feel um, uh, respected and acknowledged in that your uh, your culture was was very well researched and uh, tried to be presented in a very respectful way. Um, and I, I could not be happier with how that Ordo Dracul symbol came out. It is absolutely beautiful. I love to hear like, that. Yeah. yeah. Like just, just having, putting in the research and stuff like that. I, I've said this on this podcast and on other podcasts as well, that uh, just do your research, people find out what things are or, or dig into it and, and, and find the, the meanings behind things before you throw things out there, because you want to, you want to be respectful, like you said. And, and that goes a long way. Um, it, it means a lot to, to those who, uh, who practice or are involved in that, or just in any type of culture that you're, you're writing about, uh, actively find out about it because it's, it's super important to make sure that you get the, the points right. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's yes, uh, absolutely. And I am a, um, I am a notorious researcher and a meticulous note taker. Um, Every one of the characters in Cult of Dracula has a backstory. Um, I, I'm, an, I'm an avid D&D player. I'm also a huge <laughs> fan of the White Wolf World of Darkness games. Uh -huh. So, you know, I in creating the characters for Cult of Dracula, I, I almost created um, their own, like, character sheets with these big detailed backstories and, um, you know, that 99% of the backstory is never actually going to be relevant in the story because you're not going to get that far, but that's just the way I go about creating my characters. So hopefully they will feel real and their reactions to things will feel real when they're in these situations because of all this insanely crazy research that I did to, um, uh, to put them together. So yeah, do your research. Um, you know, it, it's vitally important so that you, you know, it, it, cause it really is the little things that make such a massive difference. 
Um, you know, I was just talking to uh, Puis uh, Calzada, who um, he he's the artist who takes over in issue three. Um, unfortunately, we did have to replace Henry. Uh, his family uh, came down with COVID. And he was unable to keep up with the schedule, um, so we did switch to uh, Puis Calzada, a brilliant, uh, brilliantly talented artist from Mexico, and I'm thrilled to work with him. But uh, he and I were discussing. Um, he was drawing this scene with uh, with cars because we kind of flash back to the 1940s and uh, into the Appalachian bootlegging world, and. Um, so we were talking about specifically the type of police cars uh, that we had to use, and we went down and researched all the way down to how um, the sheriff's office from this from Johnson uh, County, Tennessee, um, uh, or Jefferson County, excuse me, Tennessee, Johnson City, but the way that their their police logo would have looked at uh, that point in time because it's radically different from the way it looks today, and we didn't want anything to be generic, we didn't want anything to be wrong, so you know. Every little detail in this book is very, very thoroughly researched. And I, and if you guys are creators wanting to do something like this, again, I, I highly encourage you to to do your research on uh, on what you're creating because somebody's going to notice if you get it wrong. The whole thing about you saying you have the, the character sheets and what how they you know how they would react or what they would do, I noticed that in movies or in or more not really movies but more like in in series where all of a sudden the character acts contrary to what they've been set up to to um for us to know them you know and i'm like ah, when mm, they when they that's jarring of, yeah, when that happens yeah it, i i tell my wife my wife is like you ah. out of the story yeah i, I tell my wife ah. and then she's like oh what are you gonna say <laughs> i'm like this character would not <laughs> this like, character would not do that <laughs> he wouldn't do that yeah <laughs> And, and if you're going to do that, if you're going to make them take a radical departure from their established character, you better have a good reason for it. You better have that backstory to say, okay, when he was 14 years old, he opened up a, up a closet door at his grandparents' house and a mass of spiders fell on his head. And that's why he turned tail and ran when he saw that spider's web or something. You know, you better have, you better have a reason in that backstory why he did that. Because if you're inauthentic for a moment, horror fans they're going to notice. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, horror fans are some of the smartest um, fans in, in the entertainment industry. And um, you know, we pick up on, on little things like that. And so if, if your character is going to be inauthentic at all, you better have a reason for it. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> so have we missed anything yet? Anything that you wanted to make sure to talk about, about Cold Dracula? Um, you know, uh, I hope I've answered all of your questions and not gotten off on too many um, ridiculous tangents. Um, I guess um, I guess the the number one thing. Well, we haven't talked about um, the creative team very much, um, and you know sometimes because I'm the one out doing most of these interviews and things, um, I get way too much credit for this book, and um, you know sometimes my creative team gets overshadowed a little bit, and um, you know that's not fair to them. Um, so you know Henry Martinez was our brilliant artist. Um, on issues one and two, and he did just some absolutely uh, fantastic work. Um, you know, it was very sad not to be able to work with him on three through six, but we're very, very happy to be working with Puis Calzada. Um, Puis's art is just incredible. Um, you've probably seen him on uh, stuff like Era of Great Wonders and some other horror, but he's got a very, very strong horror pedigree. 
Um, our colorist, Trevor Richardson, is just brilliant. Um, you know, I know colorists don't get a lot of acknowledgement um, in the industry, but they make such a huge impact on the way a book looks and feels. And Trevor is a name that I think um, a lot of comic book fans are going to come to know um, in the near future because he's just brilliant and just he's fearless when he does his colors. He does things with colors that I've just never seen before. Um, Dave Lentz is um, our uh, letterer. Um, and just very, very talented. And, um, you know, the way that he's able to arrange, uh, the letters, um, and to, he, he, he helps to find the rhythm of, uh, of each character's voice and he's brilliant at it. So another piece of advice to, uh, aspiring comic book creators out there, don't skimp on the letterer, find yourself a good one because mm-hmm. they make such a difference. Um, they really, really do. So very happy to work with Dave. And then, um, you know, our cover artists, um, we are very lucky that we worked with, um, with 11 uh, retailers uh, to create retailer-exclusive covers. Um, so you can check all of those out on our social media. It's at Cult of Dracula Comic on Facebook and Instagram. Um, but um, we've got a, a really strong network of retailers out there that have supported us and done these exclusive variant covers. They're also all listed on Key Collector. Um, so if you guys are comic book collectors, make sure to check that out. Um, but yeah, uh, we could not do this without our wonderful creative team, without the support of our uh, our retail partners. So uh, thank you to all of them. And I highly encourage you guys to support them if you can. So real quick, what part of uh, Mexico was Puis from? Oh, he, I believe is from Mexico city. Um, yeah. And, um, so it was very important to me. Um, also since we were going to be creating cult of Dracula, um, in, uh, in a way that, uh, that represents a lot of different cultures. Um, it was very important for me to have a diverse, uh, creative team. Um, so, um, you know, uh, both, uh, Henry Martinez, the original artist and Apuis Calzada, um, are, uh, are Hispanic, uh, Sanford Green, um, produced, uh, uh, some cover art for us, um, African-American. We've worked with a lot of women, um, in developing it because, um, I, I wanted, I wanted this to be, um, a representative book. Um, and I wanted to present their, um, you know, their perspectives. It's kind of weird for me with my limited background to be presenting these, these culturally relevant stories, you know, without at least engaging with those communities to find out, um, you know, how they see them and how they represent them. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a very diverse story and I'm very glad that we've got a very diverse, uh, creative team as well. I think it fleshes things out and makes it a, a very interesting story. Um, and um, again, for horror fans, it goes where you want it to go. Um, you know, it, it does not shy away from the horror. It's not, it's not PC. It's not censored. It's, it's. I mean, we go, we go right at it. We, we eat the baby. <laughs> I'm looking at, like looking at it and, and looking at your creative team and just what you said. I really feel like you built a cult. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you built a cult with your creative team uh, to to bring in all those voices and all those different uh, uh, different representations, and then just just what you've done to make sure that uh, that that everyone. Uh, reading this is going to enjoy it. You you definitely done that. You are a cult leader, Rich. I think you you are you are going to get people to eat babies. People are going to get this this uh, this cult of Dracul uh, symbol tattooed on them because it 
does look pretty <laughs> I love it. freaking sick. Uh, I know I will have made it if I go to a con and somebody comes up and shows me their Ordo Dracul tattoo. Um, that 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 will be the pinnacle of making it as a, as a horror comic writer. I mean, I set out when I um, when I wanted to. When I told my wife I was going to write this, you know, I said, look, I just want to be famous enough to be a guest at Dragon Con. That's ah. it. <laughs> if I do that, if I can be a guest at Dragon Con, so Dragon Con people, if you're listening, I want to be a guest. But if I get famous enough to be a guest at Dragon Con, I'm done. I'll just quit, you know, <laughs> and I'll know and I'll just, I'll seal it. Somebody's going to come up and show me their Ordo Dracul tattoo. And I'm going to be like, you know, it does not get better than this. So stop pushing your luck. Push your chips in, cash out, walk away from the table because it's all it's all downhill from this Dragon Con and crazy person with a tattoo, um, and that that that's that you've made it as a horror comic writer and a cult leader apparently. Rich, at that point, <laughs> what you do is you sign you sign underneath the 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 tattoo, you sign it, and then you walk them over to whatever tat like whatever booth is doing tattoos at Dragon Con. <laughs> do the tattoo of my signature. Yeah, and you yes. pay for it. And you're like, yes. And then you get a photo of it and you're done. That's it. You cash That's in. It. <laughs> Mike, cash in every Mike drop out the door. <laughs> you're like, uh, I have hit the pinnacle. No, he was here for five minutes. Seacrest out. <laughs> <laughs> So, I, I'm down for this. So, so please, somebody, somebody, get this tattoo. And if you if you get the tattoo and you hit, I mean, you get the order direct cool tattoo, and you come up to me and you want my my name, I'm not going to do a stick figure. I'm not going <laughs> to do that to you. But oh I'll God. sign it and I will pay for them to tattoo my signature underneath your order direct cool symbol. So because that would be just awesome. That would but be. Then no, if if you do that, my career is over. I'm done. So um, if if you want to kill my career, get the tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> that is the important part that, that they actually that sound, want the that sounds signature. awful. <laughs> well, you know, that would actually maybe you feel like it would it would be the, the ending point, but it might just push you further. You're like, wait a minute, there's more stories to right? be told. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, but we really do. We've got a lot of stories to tell yet with Cult of Dracula. Um, you know, like I said, it's gonna be three volumes. Uh, Source Point has uh has uh, agreed to um to publish all three. Oh, that's and cool. um the yeah, and the first one is it's a very it's very much a Toby Hooper film. It's very intimate. It focuses on this small group and this one specific incident. So Texas Chainsaw Massacre type thing. Um, you know, in uh, you know you meet Renfield, who's very much inspired by Charles Manson. Um, I did. I'm probably on an FBI watch list. In fact, I know I'm on an FBI watch list. <laughs> We're probably on the list already, anyway. So. Oh my god, oh. we are. I know we are. I, I got a call. <laughs> I've I have heard. I have heard tapes, interviews with Charles Manson that have have haven't been aired for anyone in like 50, 50 years. And, um, you know, I if you want to if you want to drive yourself insane and please don't do this because I did it and it drove me insane. But sit alone for like three weeks. I, I, I my my home office, it's in the basement. And so it's you know down here. It's dark and quiet and everything. <laughs> and so sit alone for like like two, three weeks straight every night at two, three in the morning. And, and all you're doing is listening to Charles Manson, uh, interviews and <laughs> things like that. And, um, it, when he starts to make sense that that's when, you know, like, okay, I'm, I'm getting a little too far. Um, but <laughs> I, I did that <laughs> because it was very important to me that Renfield 
have Manson's rhythm to the way he spoke. You know, Manson was very musical and very lyrical, and that's why he was so charismatic. Jim Jones was the same way, you know, and that's another common trait that all these cult leaders have is they, they, they're, they're, their voices are so magnetic and charismatic, and, you know, that's how they can convince these people to do all these horrible things, which is also why I thought vampires and cult leaders go well together because mm-hmm. vampires are able to com- convince people to do horrible, horrible things. Oh, yeah. So – you know, um, but yeah, it was so important to get Manson's voice in Renfield just right. I I, I researched uh, Charles Manson so much. I'm it still disturbs me some of the some of the interviews that I heard with that dude. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm definitely probably going to get arrested by the FBI for uh, for <laughs> all the Manson research I had to do for this book. And they're never going to believe me. I was just researching. I promise. <laughs> researching to start your cold. Oh my gosh! Right? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> We, we just interviewed a cult leader. <laughs> Great. Yeah. 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 Hey, how you know, much, you're, uh, you're responsible. You're going to put me in jail now. How much more? Because you, you identified me as a cult leader. I'm, no, no, I'm sorry. I take it back. I resend it. <laughs> so and see, I that shows my power uh, as a cult leader. I got you scared there. Oh, no. It's I happening. Looked up, uh, I looked up Puis, and he actually uh, did a, a, a project with someone that we've reviewed on the show already oh with, yeah uh, Jason, oh cool uh pal from pinpricks oh that oh man Zorro. He, he, yeah he oh that's cool yeah he he did the zoro rides of the old gods uh, zoro versus cthulhu kind of thing oh that's nice. a good one yeah yeah puise is a brilliant artist i mean holy cow and he's fast man i mean he's putting out a basically um a page a day of just absolutely gorgeous work i am um, um and again a day? posted a page a day you are so lucky <laughs> i know oh my um, gosh go on the uh, cult of dracula instagram and facebook page and you can see i just posted a page from issue three that he uh that he did and holy cow man it is so <laughs> awesome and, uh, but it's consistent with Henry's art, so it's not going to. When you're reading it, it's not going to be so jarring that you're like, oh wow, they radically changed artists. But you know, Puise has been able to kind of um, uh, kind of follow Henry's style, so it's going to be consistent throughout the uh, throughout the book. But man, it, it there's there's some really good art on this book. Man, we've been we've worked with some brilliantly talented artists. That's good to hear. I, there's been in the past where I'm reading some of the Marvel stuff, where you know how they have the tie-in comics. Sometimes uh-huh. I can't do it because the art style of one series is so different from the other one that it just yeah. pulls mm-hmm. me out of it. So sometimes like, I just yeah. read the main story. Yeah. <laughs> pulls you. And, then and like, oh, the timing um, the timing for bringing Puise in couldn't have been better because issue three opens with a uh, kind of a flashback to the 1940s, you know, the bootlegging era. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, it so when you're reading the book, you're going to go from Henry um, and then, okay, we flash back to this different time period. So it's okay that the art changes because mm-hmm. we're flashing back to a different time period. So we kind of get to kind of gets to ease you into the transition from Henry's art to Puise's art. And um, so, yeah, for the reader, we we really tried to time it out and think of like we have to make this change. Unfortunately, this is you know it's 2020, 2021, so COVID has yeah. flipped the world upside down, and we didn't want to change artists, but we had to um, because COVID uh, you know took our main artists down. So, but we tried to be cognizant of the reading experience um, 
so that it's less jarring and less impactful on the reader. So, you know, you, you do kind of transition from Henry to Puise in a very um, deliberate way uh, that hopefully is going to going to help with that consistency. Oh, that is good to hear. Yeah, I, I, I can't I can't wait to see the, how the colors transition as well. I'm sure they do because uh, what Trevor's done in in these two books, and then moving into that 40s feel and vibe. I'm sure there's mm-hmm. a little uh, difference in there too because it's so it feels yep. so bright and light in the beginning a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, which is you know another deliberate thing. It's like we wanted you to feel. It, it like it's weird. Like yeah. I love what he did. I love what Trevor did in the beginning with the red sky. Yeah, uh, that, that, li- that is literally how Trevor got the job because we interviewed probably two dozen colorists and they you know submitted their samples and things and everybody gave us a blue sky or a gray sky. You know because it's typical. It's just the sky. You know you're not even thinking this is important. But Trevor had the balls to do a red sky. And when I first looked at it, it jarred me. I was like, whoa, why is the sky red? And then I started seeing what he was doing with the rest of the colors. And I mean, it, it, it just creates this ominous feeling to the whole opening to have this red sky. Like this, this, this church way out in the middle mm-hmm. of nowhere in the Appalachian Mountains is so sick that it's poisoning the sky yeah. around it. And, and like, it was like, wow, just, just that subtle little cue. It's a subconscious cue that goes in the back of your head. Like something is really, really wrong here. No, does and this, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to that. That's how Trevor got the job <laughs> was that red sky. Now is the sky supposed to look like blood splatter? A bit. Uh, you know, it's a little, uh, yeah, that's a good catch. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's some, some keys, little clues in there like that too. Um, you know, we wanted you to start thinking of blood earlier and earlier and, um, you know, just kind of plant those little subconscious cues in your brain, um, you know, to introduce you to the things you expect from vampires like Mm -hmm. blood splatter and things like that. So yeah, you'll, you'll catch little cues like that throughout the book if you look close enough. Awesome. All right. And. Well, I I don't know know I was going to be on here so long, but yeah, it goes but by. It's worth it. I mean, it goes like, by so quickly when when you're uh, interested. I in know it. when you get talking, man, it's fun. <laughs> when, when, yeah, when you have when, when horror you, fans get talking, we can go forever. Oh, yeah. Engaging conversations yeah. is what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think one time we went almost two hours. <laughs> wow! Holy cow! Yeah. Yep. I I think I only cut out like 15 minutes of that one too. <laughs> Nice. You open that door, you find you yeah. find yourself inside that that weird uh, storage unit or that deep basement. You're listening to those those Manson tapes, and everything start make starts yep. making sense. And you're like, "Oh, hey, yeah, Rich, you're right. I think I want that tattoo. I'm gonna come and see you at Dragon Con. Wait, yes. what what happened? <laughs> Back out and just show up with a tattoo. Like, how did I get here? And then we send David. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I well, will if somebody shows up with a tattoo, guys. I, I will send you a picture of it, and I will be completely floored by this. But, <laughs> and it, you know, it is a totally rad symbol too. So we it would is, make it a, it would yeah. a badass tattoo, like on like on your shoulder, or um, you know, like uh, like uh, like maybe on on your back or something. It, it would right look really bad. Do, do the Mike Tyson yeah. and put oh. it right in your face. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. Oh, wow. And um, and if you did it, it's a it is it is three 
thoroughly researched pagan symbols. So, you know, you're not just getting some weird, uh, you know, some generic tribal uh, tattoo or, Mm. you know, you're not getting something in Chinese characters that you don't know what it means. You know what this symbol means. It's been very thoroughly researched. So, yeah, it would make a good tattoo. Somebody needs to do that. And if someone gets a uh, face tattoo, don't blame me. Uh, You guys did that on your own. (laughs) (laughs) That was a choice. (laughs) The, right. the the real devotees of the to yeah. the cult they they get the facial tattoo yeah <laughs> yeah that's those are the generals yeah yep 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 they're the high ranking ones the high ranking <laughs> ones oh my goodness oh god I I, th- I think we really did just start a cult guys oh it finally happened in episode eighty four <laughs> <laughs> they were really pushing early on in that in that yeah. other episode where we on the <laughs> we're on the watch list but this one. <laughs> sealed the deal yeah <laughs> yeah why are where are all those sirens coming from <laughs> yeah i don't know <laughs> tell me <laughs> blackout helicopters over that yep it's okay i've got my tinfoil hat on they can't get me okay there you go uh, cell, phone, <laughs> cell phones are in the boxes they can't <laughs> no one can they can't track me yeah, yeah. <laughs> turn it off <laughs> so broadcast from a bunker buried <laughs> deep in underground somewhere hey, next to next still <laughs> right i should i'm i want to get to building that um no uh rich i want to thank you very much for for uh, being up um uh, on saturday morning i know it's not always the best Absolutely. time to, uh, on the saturday you know you want to sometimes sleep in but thank you very much for for joining Man, us. I, ha- I haven't been to sleep yet so oh <laughs> you've been listening <laughs> I right. to I was are you sure you're not are you sure you're not a vampire? Yeah, I, you know i've 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 been uh, I've been asked that before, but, <laughs> but yeah, I was up writing. Um, I was up writing all night last night, and I was shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, I, I've not been to bed yet. So I'm gonna probably after I'm done here, I'm probably gonna try to go and get some sleep today, and um, and then go back and finish uh, finish working on the next issue. Sleeps during the uh, day. They're going to be coming out every uh, every month, starting this month. So um, from March through August, here there's going to be a new Cult of Dracula um, on the last Wednesday of every month um, at your local comic book store. Uh, lo- local comic book store. Um, so make sure you ask them for Cult of Dracula from Source Point Press. Do it. Make sure to send us over any e- links and anything you want us to that you want the listeners to be able to click on to to get to uh, your stuff, and we'll make sure to put it out there. And yeah, please, we recommend the the comic book, the series. Go out there, um, and like and like what Rich said. If if your comic book store does not have it, ask them to to order it, and um, maybe they'll have the rest of the series after that. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have troubles finding a local comic book shop near you, um, if you message uh, the Cult of Dracula comic um, Facebook or Instagram uh, pages, uh, it's going to be me responding. Um, so you'll be talking to me. Um, but, you know, hit, hit me up on uh, on Facebook, uh, Cult of Dracula comic or on Instagram, Cult of Dracula comic, and I'll help you find a retailer near you that is carrying the book. Um, I mean, there it's going to be in just about every comic book store um, on March 31st, and we sold an insane number of copies through Diamond uh, to comic book stores. This also has been optioned to be developed into a movie, um, by the way. Um, wow. but yeah, by Sure Pictures. Um, so uh, we're looking at uh, we're looking at 
going to taking it to one of the digital streaming services, maybe Shutter, Screambox, uh, something like that. But that's uh, Jerry Carita is the producer um, and from Sure Pictures. He's handling all that stuff. But um, uh, but yeah, it, it's going to be in a lot of places and a lot. You're going to hear a lot about it. Um, we've been very fortunate to get good press. But um, if you have trouble finding a local comic book shop near you, let me know. I'm going to go ahead and plug one of my friends here. Uh, you said that part of this was um, inspired by Toby Hooper's Chainsaw, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, yes. my high school friend just directed the the newest uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So, really? Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, I can't dude, wait. Um, love Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. I'm, I'm hyped about it. And then to, to know that one of my friends, that the last time I saw him, I did karaoke with him back home. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice. We did, we did a, a Neil Diamond. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. Uh, so, you know, uh, <clears throat> if y'all need a director, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, yeah, tell him um, to hit me up, man. I'd love to. I'd love to meet him if he's directed a Texas Chainsaw um, movie. He's got to have some skills, and um, yeah, we can hook him up with Jerry and uh, and see what we can do. So, yeah, if he's if he's looking for work, let's start talking, man. And uh, what's it called? I, news just came out actually that the original character Sally. Uh, not the actress, because she unfortunately she passed away. But the character Sally is coming back for this one. Oh wow! Really? Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah. Uh, once again, Rich, thank you very much for for joining us and and spending um, almost ninety minutes with us. <laughs> yeah, thanks, guy man. It, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you guys. I love the podcast. You guys do a fantastic job, um, and really really fun talking to you. And um, looking forward to um, hopefully coming back and talking to you again. Yeah, we'll we'll look for a uh, well. We're not gonna look for one because we know which one we're gonna do. We're gonna do the first direct Hammer film, right? So, oh yeah, um, hell yes. We'll, we'll just need to schedule it. Hit me up. Yeah, you hit me up. I will come on and uh, and gladly talk about that movie. Sweet, right. awesome. Everyone else, want to go ahead and thank you very much for taking the time to listen to the podcast. Remember to go ahead and uh, subscribe and keep in touch with us. We love to hear back from you all. Uh, we're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at NerdsFTC. And part of the Spoilerverse Network as well. So if you're not uh, listening to us through the Spoilerverse Network, you can head out there. You can also go to our website, nerdsftc.com, and uh, keep up with all the latest uh, episodes and uh, news from the from the podcast. Buy one of our shirts. Oh, they're yeah, awesome. shirts. Yeah. I, well, you know what? I think we, we're I'm out due for another uh, design. So maybe we can start looking for that. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. right. Once again, guys, thank you very much for joining us here on Nerds from the Crypt. We'll see you guys next time. Your turn to be afraid. Are you a fan of things that go bump in the night? Chills up your spine, paralyzed by fright. Thrilled by horror at the center of a chat. Then welcome to the Nerds from the Crypt podcast.